I am Citizen 44. What you talking about, Willis? You. Talking about you. What's it supposed to be like on the 4th of July? 82. That's perfect. All right. I love you guys. Love you too. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. Everybody, welcome to Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg. This is show number 49. Today's show is with Tom Beam. Beam, like a beam of light, like the beam of light we need in this town when the next mayoral, 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 mayoral race happens, which I guess is next year, something. I don't know. Tom uh, is a longtime resident of Ashland, Oregon. He is a restaurateur, an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, manure because he works in the ground with stuff, growing grapes to make his own wine for his restaurants like Pie and Vine or Sesame or his partnership in the new place on the other side of town but it's only the other side of town if you're on the other side of town. But if you're on the same side of town, which would be over by Market of Choice, there is Falafel Republic. And Dorian served me the other day a lovely falafel with all the trimmings. This is Tom's world, man. He's been serving the public for years. He's a good man, a good family man, and we had a really fun conversation. Honestly, and as much as he is not gonna like me saying this, he is an interesting, candidate to be mayor of Ashland, Oregon. I just want you to think about it, those of you that are uh, listening who are residents of this fair city. I like the way this guy thinks. He's uh, deeply committed and compassionate, and he's already well connected into the system that he would just have to plug himself into. The beam of light from above is going to be on our show today. Uh, We're just coming off the 4th of July. My friend David Mann's first 4th of July holiday here in Ashland after moving here Uh, I don't know, December, I guess it was, whenever I returned from Thailand this last time. So that was cool to hang out with him a bit. I sat with Zoe, who sat on a blanket with her cousins and aunts and uncles. So that was fun to hang with them for a little bit. And then I uh, hooked up with uh, Rich Reese and uh, his friend Missy. And uh, we tripped around town and did that kind of stuff. I ended up off in the woods by myself out there on the trails up in Lithia Park. Another lovely 4th of July here in Ashland, Oregon. Let's get on with the show.
Hey, Tom. Hey. We've been trying to do this for a while. A year? Is it? Ish. Okay. You're Long a busy enough. guy. What do you have, like 80 restaurants now? Just three. Okay. Just three. Operate two. Partner in one. Who you partner with in the, is that the Falafel place? Yes. Falafel Republic. Sam What's Jackson. Your... Chef Sam Jackson. Samuel Jackson, the actor? Yes. And no, you, and the you? chef. Oh, chef. <laughs> much, much more... Uh, um, Chill? Yeah. Sam is uh, a native of Oregon. And he's traveled abroad extensively, and uh, some of that has been in Eastern European countries. And he's passionate about this food, and it's amazing. We're trying to do more on the Persian side of this cuisine than the Greek side. Even some of the flavors in North Africa. Everyone kind of around the Mediterranean claims the falafel as their own. It has lots of different names, and uh, even parts of India have lentil versions. We've explored. This was born from an idea we had five years ago. We tried to do it downtown, could never get a location to fit. So when the opportunity came to go to the far end of town, we jumped at it. It's and a great spot. We love the spot. Yeah, and we're next to the Martoli's guys, who we love. You know, you can grab something at the market, you can grab a slice, you can grab a falafel. It kind of creates this little marketplace where you can only to park once. My wife and I and Sam, we're all about change and doing different things, from the pasta piatti to the pie and vine transition. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, some just our own boredom. And uh, it's hard to take a successful business and just do something different with it. A lot of people, you know, don't want to change the model. But, you know, from a creative standpoint with the team and with ourselves, we need to do different things. Sesame's turning 10 this year. And, you know, we love it. It's a successful business. It employs 35 to 50 people, depending on the time of year. It feeds about 85,000 people wow. a year there. We've done it. It's fun. You know, so do you change it? Do you do something different? You know, you only have so many minutes on the planet. And to just keep doing the same thing, we have a creative team meeting every Tuesday morning and our entire staff is invited. Managers and chefs are required to be there. And we want to hear what they want to do. You know, it's not about what I want to do. I'd be happy just making you and me corned beef sandwiches and pickles. Not sure I can make a business out of just something so unique and simple. It's challenging in a town of what was 21,800 people. That's now 20,200 people. We're a shrinking city. Is it because of the affordability? I think it has to do with affordability. I mean, it's become expensive here. Because we have fewer people to pay the tip. My big concerns are if, if you don't have a workforce, if you don't have sustainable housing models for families, when you think about a tourist-based economy, it takes service. It takes service-based employees. And service-based employees can't afford... 1500 bucks a month. I don't know many people in the service industry that only have one job. Or even live here. Yeah. When we look at the collective, yes, Shakespeare's doing well. We have all this great outdoor activity. But if you come here on vacation and you have a bad meal experience or a bad service experience, you don't come back for the whole experience. You go somewhere else. And so I think of this more as a collective problem. One could affect the other. And what happens is, and, and like now we can look across the street here and see going into June, we have vacancies on the plaza. You know, we all got here because we came downtown and fell in love with it. If the downtown doesn't look awesome, if it's not filled with awesome people and awesome shops and awesome restaurants, and people don't buy houses here. Then our real estate market starts to decline. And where's all of our wealth? Our homes. We're kind of creating our own demise. You know, I'm not an economist. I'm not a city planner. I'm just a small restaurant guy looking out the window and wondering, where does this end? This is supposed to be a very forward-thinking community. I would agree. I think it is. If it was, 
that whole downtown would have solar panels on the roof. The solar thing is interesting. I'm building a solar farm at the vineyard at the farm right now. We're looking at trying to produce between 50 and 100,000 kilowatt hours. My total usage for all companies and the farm is about a quarter of a million kilowatt hours a year. So we're trying to offset about half to a third with solar now and then retrofits refrigeration energy star upgrades in the next decade to achieve a 50,000 kilowatt hour reduction to try and figure out how to do our part for these models that have been put in place by the Conservation Commission. We have in Ashland a very, very unique model where we can net meter back. So if you put solar on your home or on your business, you can transfer those extra kilowatt hours right. back to either a friend or a business. Okay. Very unique here in Ashland. That it's a new program or newer, like the last 24 months. So right now, I think we pay somewhere between, depending on what your commercial residential, eight and 12 cents a kilowatt hour. That doesn't include your metering fees. So if you're producing, like our goal is, is to produce 70,000, it's about $5,600 a year worth of electric that we can then transfer across to offset the use. But that's you. Well, yeah, and I, I hope when we say we're not a progressive town, I think the citizens are in charge. We elect the people and we make choices to make changes. And right now we're looking at a new city administrator. We're going into an election year. Now's the time if we want to make those changes. Those are the candidates we have to search out. I'm very hopeful that we're going to get some new young families. I want housing developments. I want to see our schools get fixed in a responsible way. You know, I have this dream of You know, we have all this acreage on the other side of the freeway, connected by Mountain Street. Why are we going to retrofit five schools, five libraries, the public library? Why are we trying to fix stuff? Let's build family housing. Let's build condos and smaller lot sizes. Right here, Briscoe School, stuff that's closed that we're not even using efficiently, that needs millions in in retrofit. Let's go out to the other side of the freeway and let's build a state-of-the-art high school. And we can do it by just selling this real estate that's worth so much money right now. Take the proceeds from this real estate build a police substation, a fire substation, a junior high, a high school, and a grammar school that's going to fit the needs of the community for 50 years. One library instead of junior high library, high school library. In this small town of 20,000 people, why don't we need four elementary school libraries? We need one state-of-the-art modern elementary school. There's tons of great things that could save not just tons of money for this city, but here's an energy piece. Portland, Riverside, California have uh, irrigation canals just like we do. They partner with a company, comes in, puts everything in tubes, micro turbines the whole way, produce fantastic green energy from Lake of the Woods, Howard Prairie, Hyatt Lake. And that does all of our summer offset. When we hit tier two power, that load of that energy could probably reduce where we all get our fees increased. We hit that tier two in July and August because of our tourist economy. That's probably enough and hit most of our targets for these new plans. And it's one of those things where they pay for it and they just take it back out of the power rates. Right. So we're not doing the work. We're not doing the heavy lifting. Well, they you are. just said it. We're not doing the work, which is implementing these things that are becoming common strategies. But again, forward thinking and action are two different things. I haven't seen this town really take other than, you know, making a single lane for the bikes and yeah. the bus. And I haven't seen any kind of energy resolutions happening in this town over the past 10 years. Nope. I mean, really, have you seen anything done? Low-hanging fruit stuff. I do think our conservation division at the city does a lot with energy retrofits and lighting retrofits. We have some really solid programs. I wish more citizens would go down to the desk and ask about water-saving shower heads, which they provide for free. You change a light bulb, you fill out a piece of paper, you get credit for purchasing an LED light bulb over a, a standard light. How many people do you think really know this, though? 
Well, that's the thing is it's all available. It's all there, but we don't take advantage of it. But why don't they leverage like a marketing strategy to inform their community so we could take advantage of it, which builds up their revenue and all kinds of interesting things? It does. And it helps us achieve the goals that we've set for ourselves as a community. Ignorance is not bliss. It's super debilitating. Yeah. So if you don't know that these programs are available, people are not going to go look. I was on the Conservation Commission for some time as a volunteer through the mayor's office, which if you're not on the commission, if you want to be a part of this, it's one or two meetings a month. You go down and you make decisions about your community. There's housing and conservation and parks. How does one do that? Just go to the mayor's office and ask. You'll have a meeting with the mayor. If he feels like you're suited for a particular situation, like budget committee, you'll get assigned for a one or two year term. It's fantastic. What was great for me was I was coming from this small business mindset of, I got to make money. I got to figure a way to keep these people employed. I got to move forward. To meeting people in the community that had a different lifestyle, different work model than I did. And I learned so much. And then I took that conservation energy piece back to my business. So it was an education I wasn't going to get. And so I was so thankful for that time and still have great connection to all of those friends and those groups. Two seniors from Ashton High School in the business program helped me do a marketing survey for Falafel Republic to discuss marketing and packaging. These yep. two high school students helped build that. They worked tirelessly to create surveys for the high school and for the general public. The results of those surveys not only going to benefit my business, but another business owner and myself are presenting back to conservation about some of the things we found out about plastic and paper straws and what yes. people's mindset is around food packaging. And uh, we're going to try to develop what's called a Go Box program like they have in Portland where participating restaurants, you bring back a durable container and then we put your food in that, bring the dirty one back, we give you a clean one. The Conservation Commission in Ashland just rolled out a pilot program. If it works, they'll go full on with it. You're gonna have to ask for a straw and if you do need a straw, the straw will be a paper straw. So we're trying to now eliminate plastic straws as part of the mindset of a drink. And so, yeah, there'll be some struggles. There'll be some customers that have to have their straw or they have to have a plastic one. But I think we live amongst 22,000 progressive people that understand that straws, although fun. Yeah, but what about the cups? Well, what's so funny about the cups is, like when I get a cup of coffee, the first thing I do is get rid of the plastic lid. I don't want it, you know, if I do get a paper cup. Usually I drink out of a glass. So this survey, which, which is crazy, there were five packaging options. One was styrofoam, one was plastic, like PET plant plastic, which is no different than PET fossil fuel plastic. It still takes just as long to go away. One was the craft brown paper box. And the last option was a durable plate. Like a china plate. You'd yeah. bring your plate and we put food on yeah. it. 78% of the population in Ashland chose the brown paper box as a better option than the plate. I use a bowl that they're going to wash. Yep. That's it. I don't use the paper at all. Yep. Now, here's the thing, though. Is it using more water to wash the plate and then the labor to wash the plate and the soap that's going into the system? Or is it trying to decompose the paper that may have BPAs in the lining? So here's the myth. When you look at your recycling bin, do we as a community really believe that our plastic that we've washed with our city water to make sure it's clean when it goes in the bin? I ask all of you, to open up your laptop or your iPhone and find out where our recycling in Ashland goes. Do you know that we have one of the worst recycling programs? We are I the understand? furthest away from a secondary market. We're as far from San Francisco and Portland. And the belief that our plastic that we've just spent all this money and water washing and put in the recycle bin gets to be reused under current recycling markets and conditions, 
again, I encourage everyone to do their own investigation. I know that all the glass we wash, the wine bottles and the yeah. beer bottles and the pickle jars, it goes out and gets turned into asphalt. So why are we washing it? So we're wasting water. To make asphalt. People have no idea. I recommend everybody starts to investigate. Now, do we have commercial or residential composting? No. There's right. no facility in Southern Oregon. Do we have farmland and places where we could create it? Absolutely. Everywhere. Do we want to pay higher fees to have it hauled off and have a zero waste program? Probably national need to vote for that right away. But we're part of a bigger group. I'm not sure all of Jackson and Josephine County would go for that. If we wrote laws that required it, then, you know, you're going to pay the fees. But there's all sorts of crazy conversations that intertwine with this. But if you're truly interested about humans and human waste, I would start in your own recycling bin and see where it takes you. I think it's a great conversation. I think a lot of people think that a pizza box is recyclable. Yeah. It's post-consumer food waste. It's, right. it's trash. It is trash. And I know people that try and recycle them. I said, there's, there's food all over it. They're not going to recycle it. Or it contaminates the stream. And so now you have another problem. You know, and if, if you think that the programs we have now aren't effective or they're the right price, you know, get involved. Write letters. Join the commissions. It's all awesome. But it's only going to get better if we choose to participate. Participate. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally agree. And, and people, and even me, I mean, make recommendations and have wonderful ideas all the time. But if they don't get out of your head and you know, you're not active well, about it. And being willing to sit at a table and listen to why we can't is great. And then going back and doing the research and finding out ways around that. When I was on the commission, a group went down to Sierra Nevada Brewing to look at a program they had. An Australian or New Zealand company made a, a machine called Hot Rot. And this composter, it's an anaerobic digester. It's just like a sealed tunnel. Sierra Nevada 100% uses this to make energy, heat, heat water, and compost all of their waste. And so the garbage goes in one side and dirt comes out the other, and they get heat and energy throughout the process. There are cities in New Zealand and Australia using this technology. We are of a size where we could build our own. Is it going to be cheaper than paying the garbage bill? Because most of us will say, no, I don't want that. But we would be a leader. I think the money thing scares people, and that's a problem. Because when you make that a priority over the work, it clouds your judgment on how to get that to actually replace the money to actually pay for itself. Exactly. And that needs to be the economic conversation. Is this a 20-year payback, 40-year payback? Is this something that we're going to do and then we can't do a school bond measure? We're only 20,000 people. That's the bigger conversation. I hear it going on in the coffee shops. I hear it going on at Growler Guys. You know what I mean? People are talking about this stuff yeah. and it's important to us. At the Unitarian Center last Friday, they had a conversation about transient people. I had some speakers out of Portland and some local folks discussing the issues and what we might do about a solution, looking at what other people have done or other cities have done. And uh, it's mind-numbing conversation. It's so hard to, to first have the empathy for people in need. These are people who have nothing. I start to think about people who have nothing, either by choice or by economic situations. And there's so many different kinds of people in this group. How does a guy like Tom help? I had a flash. We've got all this acreage behind the freeway. We could be building farms and putting these people to work and housing them on these farms that could be creating local produce and all these other things for us and actually be working on these sustainability projects and become viable, productive human beings that are helping us 
instead of having to create legislation to monitor them in the streets. Yeah, I'm a business owner downtown. I deal with people just using the streets for toilets, the graffiti, the need to spit on every window in town, disrupt tourism through whatever behavior. And I, I think some of the rules they've put in place over the downtown have been helpful. It's a weird one for me. I tend to have a better relationship with the people that are living around my business. And so I don't tend to have a lot of problems. I don't like to have to clean up the messes. But I want to see them all have the same beautiful life I have. I want that for people. Now, maybe they don't want that for themselves. Or maybe they just haven't been inspired yet or nobody's cared enough to even ask them what they want to do. And they're kind of waiting. This is a whole group of nomad human beings that could be us in the future, frankly. And we might be looking at ourselves. There's a high percentage of mental illness that plays into this that the states have chosen not to deal with. It's a fundamental human problem all over the world. Yeah. You know, for highly functioning people and for people who don't highly function. Yeah. You know, that's a tough one. We're not going to solve that today. The idea of repurposing humans, giving them purpose, giving them something to do where they feel like they're part of the human community. We could leverage these human beings and give them something to do, which actually helps everybody. Yeah. All these restaurants and the consulting company and teenager and wife and life. Uh, I, I was under an immense amount of stress. And through happenstance, bad economic downturn, bought a house, bought the market, had a little land, we got involved in this vineyard project. Where's your vineyard? Uh, it's the far end of Ashland, out by Clay Street. Looked at this piece of land that had been dumped on, not taken care of, buildings buried in it, swimming pools buried in it. Spent a winter digging up the pieces and repairing the land with the help of the Jackson County Soil and Water Conservation District, uh, a grant that I got to repair this land. Planted this little vineyard. It's a one-acre vineyard. I spend the first three to four hours of my day with the music in the headphones, pruning vines, repairing vines, mowing, dealing with pests, pestilence, moles, voles, rats, the whole nine yards. And, you know, I I grew up in Queens. For me to have an experience where I get to do that, it's totally changed my life. I went through a very angst-filled, angry period. I mean, decades of it. And this has really allowed me to kind of Chillax. Yeah. It's about working with the earth. Yeah. There is a joy there. And that part of partnering with Eric Weisinger to make wine from the grapes that I grow to sell in my stores. Uh, And that's not the reason that I did it. You know, I had this piece of wasteland. It wasn't going to be grass. No, but you repurpose something that has now purpose. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. And I take great joy in, 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 you know, walking out there in the morning and, and seeing this incredibly beautiful project come to fruition. We're releasing our state wines that are made with fruit that we actually grew. It's been five years since it started, and uh, they're delicious to share that experience with my neighbors. The tourism piece is great. It certainly provides the cream on top of the coffee, but without you and the people that live here around me, no, none of, of course. This is no, you need your community. Yeah. But I think we could do a better job of just leveraging our people here. You know, what I see, too, part of the problem is the demographic is getting older because these are the people with money. You mean Jacksonville-itis? Yeah. They're coming here, and they're coming here to retire and finish out their, their business. These older people, they're not the ones that are really coming downtown and eating, and they're not that interested in the education because they're way beyond that. Yeah, their kids are done. That's right. They want to hang out and have a good time. So that's not really contributing. That's not a problem. I mean, everybody needs to pick a place to live, and it's nice that they've chosen this place. But for every $10 million investor in this town, how many families have to leave because they can't afford what has now been increased in price because we can get the money now for it? Well, now you have your upper blue 
middle white collar worker that was living in Ashland, traveling to work at Harry and David or one of the bigger companies in Medford that lived here. They're pushed talent. The talent farm, migrant farm worker or farm worker or family that's there is pushed to Phoenix. Phoenix is pushed to West Medford. And that's what happens in the world. I've seen regentrification in Brooklyn. When I lived in Queens and Brooklyn, you didn't go there at night. Now, it's where some of the wealthiest people in the world have their townhomes. So where is everybody going to live? Eventually, back in Ashland. (laughs) But that may take 50 years. And, you know, hopefully we can be a little bit more mindful of leveling that process out and having a more wholesome, fully integrated community. So it's not just where your grandparents live, it's where your family lives. You know, you're not traveling 60 miles to see your grandparents because you live in Central Point or Eagle Point. Or, and those are great cities, too. I dream of doing business in Central Point. Yeah. I dream of doing business in Medford yeah. someday. It seems like we're ripe for some giant company that has all these things, and they can actually implement a lot of these things for the town instead of the town being totally responsible for coming up with the solutions and execution. Why not have an outside corporate entity that's super conscious that says, hey, we know that you can't really even decide on this, but we're going to help you because we want to do this and we can employ a thousand people right now. Amazon and Google just moved huge facilities into Reno. I mean, huge, tens of thousands of jobs. Real estate market tripled overnight when Amazon said they were coming. Downtown Reno is getting cleaned up. And and, I mean, there's a city that's making big changes. Bend, Oregon. I mean, they're back. Gone for a little while there after the economic collapse. And what changed there? I think they have strong leadership. I think they have strong leadership that has a, a long-term vision of what they want the city to look like. And that's passed on from leader to leader. And they've made their mistakes. Maybe too many golf courses. and But now they're big in the mountain biking. One of my dreams, after going to places like Ben and uh, Steamboat, Colorado, they have these great river floats. They're beautiful. You get a tube, you grab your buddies in a picnic, and down the river you go. Our waterways here are clogged up with plastic. Talking about the Rogue? No, our bikeway, our greenway. From here to Medford. Why can't we do a Thursday afternoon float in our inner tubes and cruise down to Talent, meet at the pump house for a beer? We own this. This is our park. Why are we not using it? Why are our kids not swimming down a mountain park? Wouldn't it be nice to go down to the greenway and enjoy the bike path? I love the bike path. It's fantastic. It's, It's one of the best in the country. It's magic. But it's not safe. It's not safe after dark. I don't think it's clean. It's just like it's just there. I think we spent $14 million and it's covered in blackberries and invasive plants. And, and I understand that it, the creek needs shade and there's all kinds of water repairing questions that need to be answered. Figure it out and bend. If they have surf wave. They got this kayaking park. It's compromised. Right. You know, I, you, know, you got to move a few rocks and you got to make a surf wave. It, can Bear Creek sustain that throughout the year? No, but is it a smaller project that when the waters are up in june and may that people can learn to kayak and this kind of young uh i'm not saying it's just about young people but we got to do some things to attract some families here you're right we got to bring in some new sustainable companies i don't think people typically that's why we require leadership because one we don't self-govern very well and we're uneducated for the most part and not educated to take action this is what they should be learning in school this should be the predominance of what their education is figure out what this human thing is how to leverage it how to think not what to think and inspire them if you could figure out what to do with your town what would you do if you could create sustainability in your town. Where's the class in the middle school? You know, they would figure everything out for us and they would they do would. the work. I think they would. I have like my heroes list. People that I cannot stop admiring for their dedication to their family or their job or whatever it is they're passionate about. They go right up on my heroes list. And, and there's this guy, 
I think he's been in the Valley maybe five, six years named Hiram Towell. He runs the Mount Ashland ski area. Here's a guy that every day of the week brings it 100%. He listens to the customers, which are his neighbors here in a small town. And we have this jewel, this little community-owned ski area up there. You own it. Everybody in Jackson, Josephine Counties are partners in this thing. And uh, it's gone through some struggles. It's gone through this angry conversation. He has found a way to bring everyone, in my opinion, back to the table. Maybe you don't like skiing and ski lifts and parking up there. Maybe you don't. But let's talk about it. been in town since 2000. I've seen the crowds go from what was a, a robust, happy place to an angry place to loss of customers, some bad snow years and some bad things. And then this guy comes along. He changes everything. I mean, he's got a team of people up there. I've seen people that maybe hadn't skied in 15 years. They're back. I've seen people that never skied before. They're in their 40s and 50s. They're up there with their neighbors. It's a happy, happy place. And I'm amazed. What did he do? I think he just engaged the customer base. And he's proud of it. He's passionate about it. And every day, he's in the parking lot high-fiving everybody. It's about his energy. Yeah, and his team. He's got a great team. Now he's got a supportive board. There's plenty of commissions up there to join uh, Mountain Safety if you're interested in uh, hospitality, if you're interested in natural resource conservation. All going on up there. And there's programs through the college. There's programs through the Boy Scouts. This is the kind of stuff that engages a community. I want to see more of this stuff down that's here. That's the mayor we need. Well, that's the mayor we need. No, right? I hire him towel for mayor. I'm up for that. He would be a great leader. This is a hard conversation to have because it exposes me as a small business owner, but I'm going to be honest. There are things that we just have to make tough decisions on. We have to say we're not going to allow this or want this as a community and deal with it. What are those things? I think taxes are going to be a big problem if we don't alleviate the pressure on small business and the restaurants, maybe not so much, but retail. I mean, how do you pay two fifty a foot for rent, sure. electric, and all the other things that come along with it, and then compete with Amazon? And we don't have any parking. So half the time, you're driving around in your car going in to buy something, ordering it on Amazon because you can't park. My favorite story about the parking here, and, and I was wrong. I'm unloading concrete board into Sesame for putting a new floor in the kitchen last winter in January. And I'm in the 15-minute spot, and I've got the concrete on my shoulder. And she's writing me a ticket because I'm 17 minutes in the spot in right. January. We need parking. Why can't we just build another parking structure like we have over in Hargadine? Why can't we? Well, we could. Why can't we just build that up? If you haven't read City Charter, the history chapter of the City Charter, and you live here, you're missing out on a great story. It's an amazing story about Jesse Winburn and Civil War times in Ashland. And there was a brick factory on Clay Street. And homes here were heated with sawdust from mills. If you've never gone and done the Tunnel 13 hike and seen the last great train robbery, it it was here. The Golden Uh, Spike. Yeah. I mean, there's some amazing history right here. It's the sandstone fossil beds that are underneath your feet. If you've never had a chance to go dig fossils in Oregon, come up to my house. we got tons of fossils to look at. Really? Yeah. It's awesome. Our soil depth here is like, let's say about four feet, depending on where you are. And you get down to that sandstone bed, you start breaking open sandstone, it's full of fossils. No kidding. It's awesome. You know, and the the history of of the armory, the history of the wellsprings, Teddy Roosevelt's involvement in our town, and its historic tourist-based past. We're talking about like, you know, 150 years of tourist-based economy here. One of the things in the city charter, the history chapter, uh, I think there's a piece about the Black Swans and uh, how they got here and... This rich banker from New York, Jesse Winburn, moves to Southern Oregon. He's heavily involved in Oregon politics and builds this mansion up above the ferry pond. The swimming pool's still there, or the guts of the house or whatever. I think the kids go up there and hang out at night. But it's up here off one of the hiking trails. And he wants to donate these swans to the ponds. And uh, he buys these 
two swans from the Dutch. And they get shipped. And somewhere in the shipping, they get covered in asphalt. So the swans come. They're filthy, dirty, and they're black. They're not actually black swans. Oh, they're just dirty? Just dirty. <laughs> and so like, there's this funny cultural piece there that's great comedy. So he winds up trying to do all these things for the city where he's building this bridge. And he sends a limousine down to pick up the kids. Uh, swim in the pool in the afternoon. There's some nefarious activity going on. And he wants to put up the statue of someone. And uh, nobody wants the statue. So he kind of packs up and leaves town in a huff. Mr. Winburn Way himself. Mr. Jesse Winburn. Anyway, read the city charter. It's in there, or pieces of it are in there, and then you can research the rest of it from there. But the first chapter is the history, and uh, it's pretty cool. It, it talks about some pretty great people that helped make this town what it is and helped keep it special, which is, I think, what we're all trying to do. We're trying to keep it our version of paradise and hopefully leave it better for our children than we found it. Yeah. Most great things that happen in Ashland, it's you and I bumping into each other on the corner and you giving me this great idea and I go off and I, hey, what do we think about this? Or these coffee shop or, or you know, three o'clock beer conversations we have. There are so many people here involved in wanting to have the conversation about living in harmony and peacefulness and conflict resolution in Ashland. I think that's one of those areas that we could really affect change in the world. You know, I have never had an argument or disagreement with somebody where it hasn't turned into this incredible relationship with someone, totally different viewpoint than I, but we agree that we need to work on the problem. And that's Ashland to me. That's why we live here. Yeah. My approach to a solution to a problem, it's gonna to be totally different than everybody else's, but there are so many people who live here through their work or through their life are involved in that process. I just feel like somehow that that's a magnet for Ashland. That, like those kinds of free thinking, compromising people, they wind up here. Yeah, it's pretty energetically amazing that People break down, they run out of gas. Whatever reason that they end up here, it's because they're supposed to be here. Yeah. There was a uh, young lady I met through conservation, through Earth Day. She worked for my sister-in-law as a barista at Mix. She was a senior in high school at the time. I think she's gone off to college now. I'm sure doing great things. I said to her one day, I said, you should be the mayor of this town. You should be the one telling us all how we're going to fix these problems and what we're going to go do. Confident, intelligent, caring energetic, willing to do the work. The 19-year-old or 18-year-old young lady, the perfect person for this job? Maybe. 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 Maybe that's the whole flip on the thinking now is the perception of a 65 to 75-year-old rich man who's come here just to retire. We need some youth. Their life is on the line. Their future's on the line. They're not here to just finish off. They're just getting started. I think you're right. That is my opinion. If you want to fix the housing problem, I think you got to have somebody who's got a housing problem. Well, someone who's at least had an experience, someone who came from the street, who knows the feelings, who knows what these people are really going through. And this is kind of like what Plato said. The person that's perfect for the job is the person that does not want the job, who's been properly trained for the job, who still, the ego does not want the job but they love the people enough that they'll take the job because somebody has to do the job well. So you're from Queens? Long Island. Long Island? Yeah. What year were you born? Born in 72, graduated in 90, Catholic high school, suit and tie. Are your parents still alive? My mother is, my father's passed. My little brother drives a subway train in New York, lives underground, works nights, probably the worst existence I can think what of. What is he, a mole? Pretty much, you know? So my favorite one is uh, he's the conductor on the Jamaica, the station, not the nation. Oh. <laughs> my brother, brother, who's a uh, elementary school, English as a second language principal in Denver, Colorado, has an incredibly difficult job. You've seen the news lately, asked to work without a lot of resources. What was it like growing up in the 70s there? 
it's fantastic. You know, we played in the streets, open fire hydrants in the summertime. Nobody ever want, thinks about going to New York City to go to the beach, but Long Island has some of the best beaches on earth. You no, know. but everybody goes to the Hamptons. I worked in the Hamptons for a bunch of summers. It's how I transitioned to the West Coast. Is that how you got interested in the food no, business? No, uh, that started in the Korean deli in New York City. What was the name of the deli? Hosan. The owner's last name was Gung, so the youngest son's name was Gung Ho. <laughs> My father was a, a root salesman, Pepsi truck driver, Teamster. He had pre-written the check the week before he died for the next month. Teamster his whole life. Yeah. My grandfather was a Teamster. We go to this deli in New York, and, and if you've ever been to New York City, everything gets loaded through the sidewalk, through these right. metal trap doors. How old are you at this time? I couldn't have been 12. Yeah. Bump, 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 down goes the soda on the hand truck. My dad, my brother, and I, and we're delivering the soda to this basement. It's July in New York City. It's absolutely miserable. Polyester shirt, tough skin jeans. I mean, I'm just dying. Anybody's worn tough skin jeans is now crying for me. It's like wearing cardboard pants. And so, hence the name tough skin. Well, the story goes JCPenney's, if you had these pants, if you ever wore them out, you got a free pair. So, my mother would force us by the end of the year to wear out the pants. My dad would drag us behind the lawnmower just to wear out the knees. Wow. <laughs> Pretty funny. So we're in this basement. My father is arguing in abonics and Korean with this gentleman over the cost of the soda. And the grandmother comes out from the back of this little cooking area and she asked me if I want a bowl of soup. And I said, yeah, I'd love a bowl of soup. My dad's not going to feed me today. So I pull over the cabbage crate and I sit down and she hands me the soup. And, you know, we eat bologna peanut butter and jelly, tuna fish, meatloaf on Sundays, Fridays, fish sticks. This is not a culinary family. This is a truck driving family. So I start eating the soup and it's got things now that I can identify as kochujang and kimchi and these vegetables and dried mushrooms. I've never had anything like it. So 30 minutes goes by and I'm eating the soup. My dad comes over to me. He goes, like, what are you doing? I'm like, dad, soup. It's amazing. You got to try the soup. It's, I've never had anything like it before in my life. He's like, you really like the soup, huh? I said, yeah, Dad, this is amazing. He's like, good. You're fired. You fucking work here now. Be home for dinner at 8 o'clock. So he left me there. Did you really work there? I worked there for four years. Are you kidding? Swear to God. I ate the soup every day I worked after school. I ate the soup. On my graduation day, I was 17. I was going off to culinary school. I was saying goodbye to the family. They were beautiful to me. I asked the grandma. I said, can I have the recipe for the soup? I want to put it in my graduation book. It's important to me. And she said, yeah. So she writes it down. And she writes it in Korean. And then on the other side, she tries to write it in English. And so I go off to culinary school and cooking for my family some years later. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make the soup for my dad. I can finally pull it off. I know what the ingredients are. So I pull out the recipe and I turn it over and I look at the English side and it says technicals. And I'm looking at it and it says cow technicals. And I'm thinking to myself, what are technicals? I've never seen those before. And it dawns on me. That for four years of my life, I'm eating cow testicles. And so I looked at my dad and I said, you fucking got me. <laughs> you got me. Wow. And so, fantastic. And my dad, to the day that he died, like one of the last moments, I said something about cowboys, And he, he just laughing, laughing. That's brilliant, dude. All the way. So have you had calf fries? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now it's like, I get it. But, I mean, as a teenager, if I knew that. You know, you go from peanut butter and jelly on Wonder Bread to this. And I said to myself that morning, I think I'm sitting on this cabbage crate going, my life is going to be different than this. And so I hope we see some of that diversity here. People are willing to try the cow ball soup someday. Well, they're at least willing to eat the kimchi tacos. We're getting there. Yes. 
that was a struggle the first three years at Sesame. It was a real challenge for me. We tried to do things, and I got a lot of pushback. It didn't taste right. When you did the pho. Yeah, it didn't need to be all sugar and lime juice. There needed to be some depth to the stock. We actually went to the comment cards, and we looked at the worst, the people that hated us, and we brought them in week after week on our nickel until we got it right. No kidding. Yeah. We brought in probably 50 people over the course of that year, and we made the chef sit and listen to the feedback. I sat and listened to the feedback. We then took that information to the purveyors, and we found the food items that got us where we wanted to be. So imagine running a town like that. Same thing. You put out a questionnaire to every citizen in your town. They don't fill them out. What if you incentivized them? To fill it out? That's it. The simplest incentivizing will get people to do it. If you bought them a fucking cup of coffee anywhere in town for $5, they would fill it out. They would. That they would. Wouldn't they? For a cup of coffee? Yeah, or a discount on their, like, you find all of your electric bill if you fill out the survey. I guess you're right. Not in the mail. You introduce yourself as a human being that cares about what they think, and you hand them this, and then you hand them a coupon and say, we really appreciate your input, and our goal is to really look at what you're saying and take that into absolute consideration because we're looking to make some changes. That's how you run a town. You get the people involved because they know more than you collectively. You don't know fuck all compared to 20,000 people. And we're all coming from somewhere else. There are very, very few people who are from Ashland. We need everyone's input. We need everybody. And you just have to tell them you really want to know what they think. We want to feel like we're participating. Anyone that's listening, go meet the mayor and ask where you fit. Or know where you fit and ask them to let you be a part of that. I did a survey. It was really great. Right around Halloween in conjunction with the City Conservation Division and the Conservation Commission, where we went around for about six weeks up to and the day after Halloween, and we looked at what was in our storm sewer. Now, the number one way a city pollutes is through its stormwater runoff. And our stormwater runoff goes right to where we swim and hang out. Oh, really? It, yeah, it goes right out of Ashland Creek, right to Bear Creek, right to the Rogue River. So anything you throw in the street here, you're swimming in six weeks later. So anytime you dump gas or have a public car wash, you're just washing all... Is that right? Yeah, all that stuff, right? So we went and we looked. What's in our storm drains? They're full of cigarette butts. So when I heard about the smoking ban, I didn't look at it as a win for excluding homeless people. I looked at a win for the endangered species of brown trout that are swimming outside of sesame, which I recommend if you haven't seen them, you go down and check them out. They're there all day. There are some good that came from all of that, but to actually take these media devices that we use to collect this information and lay it out on a blanket and show people was awesome. Holy cow, that's one week. I would love for us to get a parking lot, lay out some tarps, and take a garbage truck and dump it. Rake it out and just collect what could have been recycled, what couldn't have been recycled, my estimations are that we throw away a couple million dollars worth of nickel deposits a year. So if we could get one garbage or two garbage trucks dumped out and just pull out the nickels, we may be able to solve the homeless problem by saying we need to spend more money on getting these nickels out. And I don't know. I could be totally wrong. My whole goal is not for my own success. My goal is that when I leave, that my daughter has the best possible place for her future, where her roots are planted. I'm going to be 50 before too long. This is not about Tom anymore. For a lot of years, it was all about me, me, me. Again, through meeting all these wonderful people over the years, my direction has definitely changed. I think like most young people, your perspective changes. My job is to feed the soul and make you feel nourished. That's what I do. I am in the servitude business. I'm in hospitality. I'm here to service you. If you need your feet rubbed and you come in my spot 
and I have nothing else going on and that's something I can do, I'm going to do that because that's what we do. If you're in service, if you're in hospitality, think back to the history of, of what it was. I'm here to serve you. If you're in my place for 45 minutes, you're the king for 45 minutes. Right. I was a dishwasher at the age of 27 when I moved here, 28. First job, I got it over the phone when I left Colorado was for Tim Keller and Dana at uh, Firefly. They moved from where Muse is now to where Granite Tap House is now, which is called The Top. So anyway, I washed dishes there, and, and then um, probably the whole summer in October, I moved over to work side-by-side, side, wash dishes, cook with Jevin Showers. Uh, he was my boss at uh, Primavera for Sue Jaffe. No kidding. He's a dear friend. And Jevin and I remained very close. Eventually, we became business partners in Taboo. And then after five or six years together, Jevin bought out our half. And uh, we were in the process of buying out our business partners at Pasta Piatti at the time. And then that's when Lisa and I went off to do Sesame. Wow, you really organically grew up in the business. Yeah, yeah. Starting with a bowl of soup. Bowl of nuts. Dang. <laughs> and now the owner at Falafel Republic was probably one of my favorite employees over the year. Never needed it to be managed, was always on point and brought it every day. Helped turn Sesame around, helped get that where it is today, helped with the rebranding of Pasta Piatti into Pine Vine. And How's now, that gone, by the way? It's not that different. We just wanted people to know that we had our own farm. We weren't buying pasta anymore. We were making it. We were making our own wines. We were more hands-on, making the mozzarella for the pizzas. We downsized the menu to kind of meet the labor demands in the right. market. And, you know, I'm getting older. I can't chase the kids around. Yeah. So anyway, Sam, he left us for about a year. And he's at my next-door neighbor also. And walking down the street. And I, I said, hey, Sam, I want to buy a new restaurant. You want to be my partner? And he's like, sure, let's do it. I had just gotten a phone call from an old friend that said that space, which was Milagro's, uh, which I always liked, was coming available. I was in the car on the phone with the guy telling me it works. And the same thing with Jevin. I, I bumped into Jevin in front of Starbucks, and he's like, hey, you want to buy Taboo with me? I'm like, sure, why not? And that's wow. how it all happens. It happens right out here on the plaza right. or downtown. And people yelling out their car window at yep. me or, or hey, come to the meeting tonight. Or me seeing you in Safeway going, are you going to come on the show or what? <laughs> That's I grew up communicating on the block with right. the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. And so... That's why I like this town a lot. Yeah, we're all here. If you do something bad, you're going to get called on it. Yeah, but usually the town will forgive you. Absolutely. That's who yeah. we are. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, thanks so much, Thank man. You. And uh, you've hired me to do things and, and I've been part of your business and, and uh, it's been really cool to have you as a... Uh, Part of my life in the community. And by the way, I remember doing laundry next door to Pasta Piatti, and you would walk over there with house-made pickles, house-made pastrami. You were so generous and sweet to me. Pretty fantastic, brother. I love people who love food, yeah. from simplest things to the most extravagant things. And when I meet people who are passionate about something, I want to automatically make them a part of my life. that's the show i hope you enjoyed it it was a lot of fun talking to tom he's just a super cool guy and uh i'm glad to be in uh, a little bit of his world I, I mean it about the mayor thing and i'll tell you what i'm so confident that this guy can do the job that if he decides to run i have not voted in any kind of an election since i was 19 years old not only will i vote for tom i will ensure that he wins i think you know i can do this and if he doesn't win, I will work in all of his restaurants free for the rest of my life. 
Yeah, you heard it here. If I can't get that guy elected in the next term, should he grace us with the opportunity to do some work with us and for us, I will lay down the gauntlet for this dude because he knows a lot of things that we need to know about making this place the best it could be to maximize the life that we all deserve to have. So there you go, Tom. All right, a shout out to all those who are caught up in this wildfire action. I am so sorry. Every year here in Ashland, it's been pretty difficult for the past five to six years. Last year specifically was the worst. Although the smoke was not at its thickest, where you could not see, well, you could see the sun. You could actually stare right at it during the day, and it was just an orange dot. And you could walk around in literally pea soup fog, which was smoke from the fires. But last year, there seemed to be more of a toxic element involved, and I got quite sick. So uh, I'm hoping that Ashland does not get caught under fire, and, uh, and, and that things, I don't know. You know, it's just part of life. It's kind of crazy though, on the 5th of July, right after the 4th of July, where stupid humans light fire and shoot it into the air because we're fucking nuts. Still, there were fires that started the day after. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Go to Ahrensberg.com, that's A-R-I-N-S-B-E-R-G.com, Go to the page where the podcasts are and you can click on a donate button. Hey, a dollar shows that you love me. One dollar. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. You must go see. You must go see. Won't you be my neighbor? The documentary film about Fred Rogers and his television program and how he affected the lives of children, including mine, although I cannot remember much of my childhood. I took Sam and Zoe a few days ago to go see this magnificent presentation of goodness. Zoe paid for all three of us to go, which was so generous. And uh, I cried through this entire movie, from opening credits to closing credits. I grabbed my daughter's hand and held her hand to the very end. One of the most beautiful human beings ever to grace the earth. Another messenger sent to show us how to do it, to inspire us, to get us on track, to show us love unconditionally to show us how to love unconditionally. If you haven't seen it, it's still out. Own it, buy it, show your children, show everybody. This is the man. This is a guy that gave up a ministry to get on television and do something like no one else had ever done it before nor since. And he changed lives and he changed hearts. So go check it out. Thank you, Fred Rogers.